0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Today's episode of Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor for my podcast, as well as the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event, and you can enter that event just using your phone. No paper tickets. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And don't forget to check out my fairly new website, TheRinger.com, for the very best in sports, tech, and pop culture coverage. And don't forget about The Ringer Podcast Network, which features Keeping It 1600, The Watch, Channel 33, Shack House, and our Ringer shows for the NFL, NBA, and MLB. And finally, don't forget about my new television show, Any Given Wednesday. Which runs every Wednesday night at 10 PM on HBO and reruns on HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO on demand.
1: Yeah. 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 Welcome channel 33's college football podcast. My name is Mallory Rubin. I'm the deputy editor of TheRinger.com, a lovely website that you should visit often. I'm joined today by Ringer articles editor and college football enthusiast Ben Glixman. Ben, how are you?
2: I'm good as always, Mal. How are you?
1: Ben, I'm great because I have exciting news to share with you and the world.
2: This is, well, what, uh, what do you got for me here?
1: You might have heard that Chris Vernon will be joining the Ringer Podcast family. We are obviously thrilled to have him. And he's going to be doing a couple NBA shows a week. And he's also going to be doing a college football gambling podcast every week. And so with all of this college football goodness in the Ringer Podcasting universe, you know what it's time for? It's time for us to go to school, Ben.
2: Exciting times. I've, uh, ever since I left, I've been hoping to go back. So this is uh, great news all around
1: the ringer university feed will be launching next week and that's where you'll be able to find this podcast and chris vernon's college football gambling show and and all all sorts of college football goodness so get excited please subscribe uh on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll we'll have lots of good stuff for you we promise
2: yeah yeah i would uh i would echo the same thing subscribe to a uh I was about to say Rutgers University. Oh, Don't God. subscribe to Rutgers University. Ringer University is much, uh, much more functional.
1: Oh, God. I can't believe we're now associated with Rutgers in any way. This is terrible. It's, yeah. ti- it's time to talk to our branding department.
2: Yeah. <sighs> ben, My bad, everyone. I'm sorry.
1: Ben, we have, uh, we have a loaded show. We have an exciting guest. Do you want to tell the listeners who will be joining us this week?
2: Yeah, we have uh, Ralph Russo from the Associated Press, a longtime college football writer for them, is going to come on and talk to us about uh, the AP poll and rankings, which nobody ever gets uh, irrationally upset about. So this should be fun.
1: Exactly. We already have so much ranking drama to discuss that we felt we felt compelled to consult an expert, and that's what we're going to do. But before we we get to the latest polls, let's spend a, a couple minutes looking back at what was a As expected, very, very exciting and weird Saturday of games. Let's just talk about a couple of the highlights, or lowlights, depending on your particular allegiance. And let's start with the absolute bloodbath that was Louisville, Florida State. I, I don't think a single person on planet Earth anticipated this result. What was your biggest takeaway from this beatdown?
2: So I think the first thing for me was just how is this even happening like we've sort of grown accustomed to over the past couple of years right florida state has a habit of digging itself into into a really big holes and then Storming back in dramatic fashion, we saw this all the time with Jameis Winston during the 2014 season. Uh, the last time they played at Louisville, they were down 21 nothing and came back to win 42 to 31, I believe. And even in uh, even in week one of this year against Ole Miss, they were down 28 to six, I think, before winning in pretty emphatic fashion. So I was sort of, I kept waiting for. Florida State to make that run. they're known for that run and then Louisville just kept beating the crap out of them um, but but other than other than Lamar Jackson, which I will uh, I'll let you talk about Lamar Jackson, who is clearly the greatest quarter quarterback who ever lived. I think we can say that safely <laughs> at this point um, but to me, it was the Louisville defense. I I, I sort of came into this mm-hmm. thinking it was going to be a shootout. I thought Lamar Jackson was going to get his yards. James Quick was going to get his yards. But on the other side, I thought Francois, uh, the quarterback for Florida State, was going to get his. I thought Dalvin Cook was going to have an impact. And... Honestly, I mean, we were we were communicating on Slack throughout the game. I was genuinely concerned for DeAndre Fran, uh, Francois's safety. The the Louisville front four just absolutely dominated the Florida State front four, and um, I think if Louisville is indeed going to be a legit playoff contender, it's not going to need just Lamar Jackson. It's going to need a really stout defense too. And this was a really encouraging performance in this regard
1: by communicating with each other on slack throughout the game do you mean sending each other a series of increasingly distressed and alarmed emoji
2: yeah that in caps lock basically just yelling things in uh, in typed form we
1: we were essentially by by you know certainly the third quarter really actually probably the second quarter communicating in exclamation points and the bulging eye emoji that that was that was basically it um yeah. My biggest takeaway, other than that Louisville, I guess, robs us of the capacity for human speech, uh, is that, you know, first of all, and this this is an obvious one, but I think worth saying out loud, Florida State's defensive backfield is not okay without Derwin James, and, you know, that makes sense, because... He's one of the best and most important players in the country. I don't know if you or anyone listening got to watch a season with Florida State yet this week, but one of the really fascinating things was that they had a camera with Derwin, who was at home in a brace on crutches on his couch watching, and his posture (laughs) during the game, you know, he was upright and peppy and positive and saying, you know, I believe in the guys, they've got this. And by the end, he was fully stretched out on his side. It just basically looked like he was in the middle of a sad nap with his hands over his eyes. Uh, It was really something. Lamar Jackson absolutely shredded this defense. There were so many big plays. Allow me to, if I may, allow me to quote Kevin Clark from the Ringer NFL show, who spent much of this week's episode quoting Mike Tomlin from your Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers. Lots of chunkability in this game, Ben. (laughs) Lots of chunkability. (laughs) Also, so many missed tackles. It's really rare to say that Florida State looked slow, but that's what happened here. I think the other thing for me, the other big takeaway, is that Lamar Jackson is not just good. Lamar Jackson is so good that he turned DeMarcus Walker into Tim Tebow. And I say that because, in case you forgot, here is the text of Tim Tebow's promise which he famously made after Florida lost to Ole Miss. To the fans and everybody in Gator Nation, I'm sorry. I'm extremely sorry. We were hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal, something Florida has never done here. I promise you one thing, a lot of good will come out of this. You will never see any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. You will never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season. You will never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless. I would now like to share with you.
2: What? Before you go any further, Mal, I just want—I just want to let you know that I think you should read that at, be, at the beginning of every one of these podcasts because I'm ready to <laughs> run through a uh, run through a wall right now. Just uh, just read the promise at the beginning of every podcast. That can be our intro, and we'll be good to go.
1: I need to work on my my t Bowie's. I don't think I really have the cadence down. I definitely didn't cry in the right parts, but I think you get the point. And uh, here here's a slightly abridged version of what Florida State defensive end Marcus Walker. Living legend, Demarcus Walker said after the Louisville loss, I don't want to experience this ever again. You will never see somebody out hustle, run to the ball, lead, outwork me from now on. I promise. I promise, Knoll Nation, I promise you you're going to see a different team, a different identity. God bless. That's yeah, amazing.
2: It's, uh, it's very similar. I'll also point out the beginning of that where he said he doesn't want to experience that ever again. I mean, that makes sense. I cannot imagine it would, it would be fun to just get run over time and time again by Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, that seems, that seemed painful. I understand why Der- Derwin James's posture devolved into something close to the fetal position, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I don't really foresee the promise working out quite as well for, uh, yeah. for Walker as it did for Tebow, considering I think losing by 43 points pretty much eliminates you from playoff contention, but see what happens.
1: We'll see what happens. Okay, aside from Louisville, which week three win was the most impressive to you? You have a lot of candidates to pick from Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan State, North Dakota State, Miami, Nebraska. A lot of teams impressed this week. Who stood out most to you?
2: So I think overall, this was a really big week for the Big Ten. I mean, we you mentioned Ohio State. Nebraska had that come from behind win over Oregon. But to me, the most impressive win was Michigan State. Uh, I feel like entering every year, the storyline for Michigan State is the same. We're like, OK, this is the year they fall back to earth. I'm guilty of this, too. Obviously, we really haven't talked about Michigan State much on this podcast. While I said that Notre Dame was going to make the playoff like a fool um, and Michigan state basically controlled this game up until the fourth quarter when Notre Dame sort of made it close at the very end. But for, for three plus quarters, this was all the guys in green. And I mean, I, there are a few programs that we give the benefit of the doubt at this point that they're, they're not just going to, uh, have a rebuilding year they're gonna have a reloading year and and that's sort of where michigan state is at the the running game looked really good lj scott looks good um, the defense looks strong tyler o'connor looked pretty solid at cornerback and um donnie corley jr their freshman from detroit had probably the most impressive catch of the weekend not made by noah brown um so yeah i mean i think for sparty we thought this was going to be a year where they sort of finished maybe toward the the bottom of the top 25 but I mean, who knows what happens? They, their schedule's pretty manageable. They realistically could be 7-0 and going into a matchup against Michigan. And, and we saw what happened when they play, played Michigan last year. Crazy things can happen. Oh so, uh, so, yeah, we can only hope we'll get the same level of chaos this time around. But, uh, but how about you? Who did you think was the, uh, the most impressive non-Lamar Jackson-led team in Week 3?
1: God, Ben. Hide your punters. My goodness, what a prognostication. Um, so, I do not have the same answer as you, but... I have, my answer has something in common with yours. You picked the team that officially eliminated one of your preseason playoff picks by moving that team to two loss status and officially making you look like an idiot. And I also (laughs) picked a team that gave a second loss to one of my preseason playoff picks and makes me look like an idiot. I'm going with Ohio State for crushing Oklahoma, 45 to 24 in Norman, which is astonishing. I, I don't think that anyone was sleeping on the Buckeyes this preseason. I mean, you, you actually had Ohio State in your playoff, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, so I did have one prediction that looks sort of good right now. <laughs> there you so, go. There you so go. <laughs> so thanks, for, thanks for dropping that in. I appreciate it. <laughs>
1: we know some things, guys. Um, so, okay, it's, it's, it's not fair to say that people were sleeping on the Buckeyes, but I do think it's fair to say that people were not as confident in Ohio State as maybe they otherwise would be. And for a pretty fair reason, the Buckeyes were incredibly young. This team had 12, 12 players drafted, which is... Not, not normal. That's a lot. And, you know, more importantly, those players were, were drafted high, and they were guys who had huge, meaningful roles on – The title team, you know, you're talking about Joey Bosa, Zequiel Elliott, Eli Apple, Taylor Decker, Darren Lee, and those are just the guys who went in the first round. So having to replace those bodies, no small task, the Buckeyes entered this year with only six returning starters. I think it was reasonable to expect that there would be a bit of a learning curve and that it would take a few weeks, maybe even a couple months for this team to fully gel. But that has not been the case at all. I mean, Urban Meyer's team really does seem to now officially be in Nick Saban Alabama mode, which is to say, you know, what's the line? They don't rebuild, they reload. So yep. you're you're going to lose players, right? But when you can slot in a quarterback like J.C. Barrett, your preseason Heisman pick at quarterback. That is a real luxury. And then you get to see instantly these new faces emerge. You just mentioned Noah Brown for having an amazing catch. He had... This is this is amazing. People were tweeting about this all weekend. 5 career catches for the Buckeyes entering the Oklahoma State game. Uh, excuse me, the Oklahoma game. He had four touchdowns against the Sooners. He had his almost had as many touchdowns in this one game as he had career receptions to that point. They're just they're they're just popping out stars from from the field just all basically on demand it's incredible I you know no one doubted Meyer's ability to coach the team nobody da- doubted the talent on the team because the recruiting class classes have been loaded but I think we doubted whether it would come together this quickly and it has and that's terrifying
2: yeah. So, so two thoughts off of that. So one, uh, Mark Titus wrote a wrote a, a really good piece for The Ringer this week, um, just which basically is a love letter to Urban Meyer for what he's done for his uh, for his Ohio State Buckeyes. So, so make sure you get a chance to go check that out uh, when you can. Um, but the other thing is. Every sort of after the national title game, our focus is going to turn to recruiting. And there's always debates over how much recruiting rankings really matter. I mean, you look at the top two teams in the standings right now. We have Alabama and Ohio State. You look at the teams that dominate National Signing Day. For the last few years, it's been Alabama and Ohio State. So I I think reloading is a whole lot easier when your backups are five-star players who dominated their high school competition.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. It's uh, you know maybe maybe it doesn't matter in the sense that not every coach is is capable of doing as much with talent when that talent arrives. But when you have these factories and you get the blue chippers every year, you're just going to keep being good. It, it's kind of that simple. Um, what about the other side of it? Which which of the week three losers was the, the biggest disappointment to you? Who was kind of the most embarrassing failure? Again, same caveat, other than Florida State.
2: Right, so uh, I want to actually add one more caveat here. I, I do not think this is Iowa. We'll talk. We'll talk with Ralph a little bit more about uh, North Dakota State when he comes on. But the ESPN commentators during that game were just going crazy when they made that last-second field goal. About what a huge upset that was. North Dakota State is a team that has now beat six straight FCS foes or FBS foes, rather, um, and won five consecutive FCS national championships. This is an amazing football program. So. I don't think I was lost as disappointing. I don't think they're the biggest loser of the weekend, though. the The team that really fell flat to me was Texas. Um, part of this may have been on us. We got a little too excited about the uh, the strong Um I remember a certain someone giving that nickname. Uh,
1: not not sure who uh, you mean. Don't know. Yeah, what you're it, could be, about. it
2: could be it could be anybody. Um, but but after their win, was again, it Brian Curtis? <laughs> yeah, we'll say Brian Curtis. Curtis labeling it the strongest sounds come on man get it together but but uh it turns out notre dame like we said is not really a playoff contender and while the offense still looked pretty strong last week against cal the defense showed a lot of the same flaws that have caused this team to lose a lot of games over the past couple of seasons the pass rush was not effective at getting to uh, cal quarterback davis webb The defensive backs really could not cover one-on-one, especially against Chad Hansen, who had an incredible game for the Bears. Um, But the most concerning thing is the offense that Cal runs. It's led by offensive coordinator Jake Spavitol, who used to be at Texas A&M for a long time is very similar to a lot of the Big 12 offenses they'll play, whether it's at Oklahoma or Baylor or Oklahoma State or Texas Tech. And if they're having that much trouble stopping a high-powered offense like that, it doesn't bode well for, for them moving forward. So I think, I think Texas still has a lot to be excited about, especially relative to the past few seasons. But there are certainly some glaring weaknesses there that they need to address.
1: Another team with some glaring weaknesses that need to be addressed. Your Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Ben. My- please don't call them. <laughs>
2: please don't call them my Notre Dame Fighting Irish. You're Notre Dame
1: Fighting Irish. You're I'm just sitting there every good. day, just waiting for someone to wake up the echoes. My, uh, my, my pick. My pick is Notre Dame. Uh, the, the you know you already talked about the other side of this. You talked about Spartans, so, so I won't. I won't spend too long on this. But I will just say that the final score truly did not. Reflect how bad of a game this was for Notre Dame, and how lopsided the contest really was. You know, the the Irish got on the board first; they had the opening touchdown, and then they proceeded to surrender five consecutive touchdowns to Michigan State. Five. It's uh,
2: yeah, that's not what you want. That's when not- you're trying to win. That's not that's an not ideal you, plan to win.
1: That's not how Brian Kelly drew it up, man. the uh, The Irish defense gave up 501 yards, including 260 on the ground. And then on on the other side, Josh Adams, who I think we both love, he had 29 yards. Uh, that's not good. That's not balanced. That's not that's not going to work. The offense, the Notre Dame offense, turned the ball over three times. Time of possession was not close, not even, not competitive, and really nothing about the game was. And now the Irish have two losses and are officially irrelevant for, for the season because with two losses, unless unless things are just insane this year and it is like not just 2007 level crazy, but maybe even beyond, two losses this early, you're done. you're out, You're out of the playoff. So, you know, considering we were talking about this team as a playoff possibility entering the season, it's hard to not be incredibly let down right now.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think they're they're out, even with craziness, because they don't have a conference championship game. I, I mean, I feel like for a two loss team to make the playoffs, which has not happened so far in the college football playoff era, um, I feel like it's a two year college so,
1: football playoff era.
2: It's, it's a long and storied era, lots of memories, but I feel like for a team to make it, you would need to make a really strong impression in whether it's the Pac-12 championship or the Big Ten championship right. or the SEC championship, where Notre Dame is not going to have that opportunity. So I think they're a cross off at this point.
1: I, I agree. Um, a lot of other teams have moved up and down the rankings. And to talk about that, as you mentioned, we are going to bring on the AP's Ralph Russo after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. If you love golf, I wanted you to check out the golf podcast that we have on the Ringer Podcast Network. It is called Shack House and it's presented by Callaway and it stars Jeff Shackelford and my longtime friend, Joe House, who has little credentials other than the fact that he absolutely loves golf and he's willing to argue with Shackelford about anything, but people love it. There's not a lot of golf podcasts out there. If you love golf, if you care about the tournaments, you care about PGA, you want to hear golfers, media people interviewed who care about golf, check it out. Shack House presented by Callaway only on the Ringer Podcast Network and now. Back to your podcast.
2: We are now welcoming in a college football writer for the Associated Press. Uh, You can follow him at at Ralph D. Russo AP and find his his articles, everything that he does at collegefootball.ap.org. A fellow Brooklyn resident, Ralph Russo, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks, Ben.
3: Thanks, Mallory. Thanks for Uh having me.
2: Yeah, how's uh how's everything going? Have you fully recovered from uh, Louisville's total obliteration of Florida State last weekend?
3: <laughs> you know, I, I frankly I'm still letting that wash over me as someone who picked Florida State to win the national championship. Likewise, that was you know, yeah. You know, it's one of those deals where I always tell people like whether my picks are right or wrong, I don't get paid any differently. So ultimately, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. But everybody likes to be right. I mean, it is sort of fun to be right in life in general. So when you're watching that landslide, part of you is thinking, well, this doesn't make me look smart. But the other part of me is thinking, like, oh, my gosh, like Lamar Jackson has a chance to be one of these sort of transcendent players. And that's the story. It's only a few months, a few weeks into the season, but that's the story of the season so far.
1: Yeah, we are uh, <laughs> we are sort of just in awe, actually, of him. I mean, we we spent a little bit of time last week previewing the game. We had Stu Mandel on, and and you know, Stu had spent some time with Lamar in the off season. And, and Ben wrote a, wrote a great piece for us last week, and we were all like, "Oh, it's going to be fun to watch Lamar Jackson in a, in a high profile game because he's he's fun, right? He's cool, but ultimately, we don't really know how good he is. And now we know. And uh, it seems like he's answered that pretty emphatically. I think. One of the things that, that Ben, you know, broached last week in his piece that's interesting is, like, is this officially Messiah territory or is there still some risk of, like, just being in September Heisman zone with Jackson where, you know, kind of setting up for the fall by, by basically wowing everybody so stupendously for three weeks? Like, you can only kind of go in one direction from here. I mean, what do you think? Does he have, does he have staying power here to dominate the entire season or, or do you think we're, uh, we're going to be disappointed?
3: I, I don't think this is going anywhere. You know, in past the September Heismans, and I think that should be called the Denard um, for <laughs> Denard Robinson, who was a wonderful player and so much fun, right? I mean, Denard Robinson, if you couldn't root for and enjoy Denard Robinson, you're just not getting college football. But it was always very obvious what his limitations were. He was a small guy, and his arm was eh. You know, he, he could make some plays with his arm, but ultimately he was just a stupendous runner. And you look at Lamar Jackson, and I think what in some ways this tells us is this constant argument in college football, who'd you play? Who'd you play? Oh, that day, oh, well, what does it mean that he did this against Syracuse? What does it mean that he did it against Kentucky last year? What does it mean that he did it against A&M and Charlotte? We get so wrapped up in that that sometimes it blinds us to the obvious, which is this guy is ridiculous. Right. Now, he is not necessarily Cam Newton, Vince Young yet, but you certainly watch him and think, we just can't stop him. Like, he's, he has the ball in his hands on every play, and on every play, he just seems like the big kids playing with the little kids. And, and that's scary because when you have that, then just everything else goes out the window. Like, oh, how great your defense is and what is the package that you use. And, well, if Derwin James was there, it would have been a little different. Now, when you're the big kid playing with the little kid, the scheme doesn't matter. And I'm not necessarily w- willing to put him there yet, but it certainly looks that way for a few weeks. And I think we have to stop going, oh, it was only Syracuse. Because not everybody put up 800 yards against Syracuse.
1: Do you think that, that there's a, a case that Louisville deserves to be number one after this game? And you know, relatedly, do you think that Florida State should have, should have fallen even further than it did, or does just dropping from two to 13 feel about right for you?
3: I, I thought you could make a good case for Louisville, and I have voters. You know, I don't, just always I always have to put this out there. I do not vote in the AP poll. We we put the votes together. We pick the voters. But me, Ralph Russo, is not responsible for your favorite team not being ranked where you want, um, though I'm sure you will let me know on Twitter at some <laughs> point or another, <laughs> you know, fans out there. But, but, the, but I, I actually – what I tend to get a lot when I see voters on the road and I was, at, uh, I was at Stanford USC this weekend doing some stuff with McCaffrey and getting a chance to see the wonder that he is – I had a voter come up to me and say, so if, you, if I had Louisville one, number one, what would you think? I was like, I, I would think that that's just fine. Mm-hmm. I would think that you can absolutely make a case for that. I, I would have been comfortable, more comfortable keeping Bama number one because I think when in doubt, go with Alabama. But I think Louisville made a really good argument this early in the season. What they did to Florida State is the most impressive thing that's happened all season.
2: Yeah, I totally agree, and I'm glad that you gave uh, I'm glad that you gave the listeners a little bit of context as to sort of how the AP poll actually comes together. As uh, as much as I'm sure they would all love to send you uh, send you complaints to your Twitter account that we plugged <laughs> earlier in the show here. Um, let's move from from Florida State to a little bit further down the rankings, actually. Sort of toward the bottom of the top twenty-five. One of the one of the big results from last weekend was North Dakota State uh, beating Iowa. I don't even really want to call it an upset at this point, given given what the North Dakota State program is at this point. Um, now that they've won five, five FCS national titles in a row, they've beat six consecutive FBS opponents in a row. Um, what does North Dakota State actually have to do to be ranked? It seems like it's, it's basically impossible at this point, unless they, they beat somebody as thoroughly and embarrassingly as Louisville beat Florida State.
3: Yeah, and, and beat somebody farther up the totem pole. I mean, no offense to Iowa, but, uh, you know, <laughs> no, Iowa is nice. Um, beating beating, let's say I don't know. Uh, well, let's not say Alabama because that's far-fetched. But beating, let's say Michigan State. Now that would have been something. So here, here we are with the FCS team. Just a little perspective. After Appalachian State beat Michigan State back in, I think it was two thousand five or six. I always forget the year. Um, oh, excuse me, beat Michigan. It was it was deemed by the AP. There was never a rule against it. But we sort of clarified that, yes, if you want to vote for these FCS teams, they're Division One teams, feel free to put them on your ballot. But no team has ever gotten really close. And, and, and North Dakota State this week got as close as anybody, I guess. Their, their vote total came in about 27th, still about 30 points behind number 25. So you're right. I mean, the chances of, a, of North Dakota State or any FCS team getting ranked is pretty slim, Um, And I've had some folks suggest, well, if they keep winning, then they'll then they'll rise in the poll and they'll gain support. But when you talk to some of the voters out there, you know, who did vote for them, they'll tell you, you know what, we were rewarding them for a, a, a string of great years and a really good win. But the fact of the matter is they're probably not moving up my ballot over the next few weeks Um, And as other good teams have good wins behind them, they'll probably get bumped off. I think it's it's an acknowledgement and a reward for North Dakota State. But again, unless you're going to beat a top 10 team fairly soundly, and then it's hard to maintain it because you're going back to playing FCS teams. So I guess that's a long way of saying I don't expect FCS teams to be ranked and as good as North, this is probably as good as it got it, it's going to get for North Dakota state this season.
1: So, I you know, it's interesting to to hear you sketch that all out for us and I think I think there's not a lack of understanding of how the the poll works among fans, but but maybe now that we are in this transition phase, you know, leaving the BCS, entering the playoff era, like maybe a lack of of unified opinion on on how much the the AP poll should or does really matter still. You know, is it about respect? Is it about sort of informing the narratives and the conversation? I'm I'm really fascinated as someone who is so close to it to hear what you think about this. You know, in the in the selection committee era, does it even make sense for people to get as as worked up about the A P rankings as they are?
3: I would suggest it never gets that it never makes a whole lot of sense to get too worked <laughs> up about the rankings, especially in September, but that doesn't stop people from doing so. But, but then again, I will say this that's the reason why they're there, because people do get a little worked up and they like to. And as much as college football fans nowadays are consuming them differently and understand that they don't have the impact that they used to, because we'll, we will sort this out on the end, at the end on the field, um, I think they still play a place in the college football conversation. And this is how I always describe it. Um, and I shouldn't put a caveat. I work for the AP, so the AP poll means a lot to what I do, but I'm a reporter, and I look at it like a reporter, and I look at it to a certain degree like a fan, which is I understand that it doesn't matter like it used to. I think that in 10 years... When we move on from the playoff to some different version of the playoff, there will always be an AP poll. And before the playoff, we had an AP poll. Before the VCS, we, we had an AP poll. So the AP poll, to a certain degree, ties the history of college football together. Um, when was the last time so and so was ranked this high? Well, the AP, the the college football playoff rankings will never give you that perspective of a program's history. And the last time they achieved this level of success, but the AP poll is there to provide that. It does. It sort of sets the narrative for the beginning of the season to a certain degree. I don't think it really influences the the selection committee. So I think that's where the AP poll still has a place. It sort of ties the history of college football together, and I do think it creates conversations and as the old school newspaper person in me says, it allows people, it allows newspaper guys to, to lay out their pages properly because then they can say, okay, the top twenty-five games go here.
2: Yeah, no, I, th- I think your your point about it, it, the history is is really fascinating there, and it's a really good point. And I also think with the the playoff rankings don't even come out until sort of midway through the season. I forget if it's week seven or week eight or somewhere in that realm. But especially in the beginning part of the season, after fans have have waited months and months and months to watch their football teams play, I think having these rankings to sort of judge where you fit in the national landscape is, is an important thing. And and even though it doesn't play a role in in the national championship, just in sort of the calculation anymore, I still think it, it's always going to be a big, big part of the sport. Um, my one question about the rankings is over the last few years in particular, there's been a very... Vocal movement about basing the rankings solely on this season's results. Obviously, there's there's human bias in there, so Alabama is going to enter at the top of the rankings all the time. But especially with sort of that new mindset, we've seen a lot of teams this year. Whether it was Texas, sort of jumping up before they lost to Cal. Um, Or Wisconsin, which eats by Georgia State narrowly over the weekend, I think is all the way up up at eleven right now. Uh, I was wondering, sort of, which teams that you think have, or which teams rather that have shot up the rankings in in a really significant way early on, do you think could be primed to fall off in a in a pretty major way here uh, in the next couple of weeks?
3: Well, I think I think well, you hit two, and I I think of those two because both of them, Wisconsin and and Texas, surged in and had like. Somewhat historic surges. They went from unranked to, you know, I think nine and 10 in the rankings after the first weekend with big wins. Um, I even, despite what happened at Cal, I still feel like Texas is more primed for a good long run because they don't look that much different than the rest of the Big 12. So I think that once it gets into the Big 12, they'll score a lot of points and I think they should be fine. Uh, Wisconsin might have been a a case of a little bit of an overreaction, but but again, if you're going to sort of try to in the first week or two of the season rank on results, then you're gonna overemphasize and you're gonna have these big shifts. I kinda like voters to do that, be willing to make big shifts and big jumps. But Wisconsin, I look at a team that is still trying to figure out who's gonna play quarterback. You know, they've got some running backs banged up now. I think Wisconsin always has a really nice identity and sort of knows what it is. But I look at this stretch coming up, Michigan State this weekend, then Michigan, then I believe Ohio State is in there somewhere, if not immediately, Iowa and Nebraska. I I think all these games are sort of piled up on on Wisconsin. That doesn't look like a team that's going to really survive that gauntlet. So I would imagine at some point Wisconsin is going to level off, and even at best, win a few of these games would be more toward the bottom of the poll than the top
1: ralph listen this is a college football podcast we are here to talk about college football however have to ask you about the mets have to do it how are Uh, you feeling how are you feeling clinging clinging to a wild card spot clinging to hope despite the the latest devastating blow degrom surgery how are you feeling right now? Are you in like a positive headspace thinking, okay, well, somehow this team is actually going to make the playoffs or are you just like, fuck my life and why don't any of our pitch- pitchers have arms? Like, well, wh- where are you at this right now? This is, and now that I know that language is appropriate, <laughs> I am totally
3: for it. So this is where, this is where my head is uh, on, on, on the Mets. I had, I had emotionally divested in the Mets about three weeks ago after the like the, the debacle of <laughs> losing games to the Diamondbacks and the Rockies I thought okay you know what this is just not happening this season and it's my busy time of the year I can't get wrapped up in this nonsense so I just sort of called bullshit on the mess and said that's it we're done with that and now they have dragged me back in hence setting me up they have me exactly where they want me because now <laughs> I am reinvested and immediately, when I have gotten reinvested, they have lost the Grom and lost two games to the Braves. In the in, in the period it took me to get my hopes up, they have they have almost immediately broken my spirit. <laughs> so, so this is where I am, and this is life with the Mets. And luckily, you know, I'm, this is sort of life as a Jets fan too. But again, like I don't really emotionally invest in the Jets at this time of the year because I'm too busy. But yeah, the Mets have basically done exactly what I figured they—I I, I was trying to prevent them from doing to me, which is set me up to rip my fucking heart out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, that is well put. We have a—we uh, have a couple of, of pretty diehard Mets fans uh, in in our right. office too, um, and I think they're uh, going through the sort of the same emotional turmoil over the past few weeks that you have.
3: It's just not fair, though. Like, I, I it, it's the classic. I would, they, they, I thought I was out and they drew me back in and they pulled me back in. And, and this is where we are now. So now I'm going to watch them again. Now I know people will be listening to this at, at various times, but I'm going to sit down tonight and watch them, I'm sure, move again to the
1: brace I, uh, well, it sounds like a, uh, I think we all know your pain. I mean, I, I get, I, I am enjoying right now the, the, the sincere, pain of watching the Orioles somehow give up the same home runs to David Ortiz and Mookie Betts every night. Like the ex- I just don't understand. It's like I'm watching a, a loop of my misery, but it, it's not actually a loop. It's something new and and horrible every day. So I, uh, I feel your pain, man.
3: Well, the cool thing about what happened with the Mets is, at a certain point, this conversation started going on on WFAN, and the conversation was, what game of the playoff series against the Cubs will Seth Lugo start and once that conversation was started to be had on talk radio I knew we were just in for a fall like this 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 was just not work this is not where our heads should be met fans like think about those the the phrases that you're using here and and like we are just totally set up to crash Especially, well, and I know this is too much time talking baseball, I know, but especially no when thing. you're being chased by the Cardinals and Giants who have, like, pixie dust all over them, like the magic fairy tale team. Like, there's no way that it's not working out for those guys. And screw those, those guys, right? <laughs> screw those guys. Because yeah, well, uh, it never doesn't work out for those guys.
2: Well, uh, well, what I would say is, uh, is I feel like college football's version of the magic pixie dust team that always comes back is Florida State the past couple of years, and they got their ass kicked last weekend. So, uh, so fingers <laughs> crossed that, that, uh, that you guys pull it out here in the end. But uh, for Ralph, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Al at Ralph D. Russo AP. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on.
3: Thanks, guys. That was actually uh, uh, very cathartic and uh, and, and (laughs) therapeutic.
1: We're so glad. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Mallory. All right, Ben. Very quickly. Before we before we wrap up today, let's look ahead a bit. Let's talk week four. Let's do a little who you got. Okay, we have a lot of exciting, interesting, ranked matchups, or at least high-profile matchups. Let's quickly talk about three of them and each uh, each predict our winner here because the thing we're we're light on so far is saying stuff that we're then gonna regret. You know, we, we wanna make sure we have enough opportunities for people to call us stupid, so let's make more predictions.
2: All right, that's uh, that's what we do here at uh, Ringer University is make predictions <laughs> that will surely go wrong. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you've stuck around to this point in the podcast here for that.
1: Ringer University colon it's an education. Okay, first up, number eleven Wisconsin at number eight Michigan State. Who you got?
2: Uh, I probably probably hinted at where I'm going with this one earlier in the podcast, but I am uh, I'm going with Sparty. I am done sleeping on them until proven otherwise. At this point, I uh, I like. I like their running game. Their defense is as strong as always. Sort of Mark D'Antonio has shown time and again that he's able to get it done. And on the Wisconsin side, the the quarterback situation makes me a little bit nervous. Bart Houston is apparently still the starter, despite the fact that Alex Hornibrook came in against uh, Georgia State and, and sort of spelled him. And led that team to victory uh, at the uh, ben, at the end of week ben, three. Against... I have to
1: interrupt you for a second. How many people who are listening to this who are like casual fans? Do you, how many of them think you made up those names?
2: I did. They're actually not real players on Wisconsin, but it's it uh, it, it helps explain like if it sounds like if it sounds like I know the players on each team. But yeah, those guys are are made up totally. But who do you have here? Who do you have in this matchup of fictional players? They may not actually be play, playing this weekend, but who do you got?
1: I'm aligned, man. I'm with you. It's, it's, it's all Sparty. I just want Craig Gaines, our copy chief, to be happy. He may or may not know that this game is happening or that it's college football season, but I want him to be happy. Um, so I'm picking Sparty. You know, I don't know if Notre Dame is really bad or Michigan State is really good, but either way, I'm pretty sure that Wisconsin is not really good. You know, this team barely beat Georgia State. That, that's, that's not, that's not going to win us over and you know wisconsin hasn't won in east lansing since 2002 so sparty's rolling they're not going to drop this game at home it might not just be an ohio state versus michigan thing in the big 10 this year we're we're uh, we're, we're looking at a more interesting race than we thought definitely all right next up number seven stanford at ucla who you got
2: so I uh, I wanted to pull the trigger on uh, taking Chosen Rosen and Soso Jamabo in UCLA. It's a fun offense, but I just uh, I couldn't do it. I got Stanford. Um, Christian McCaffrey. What can you say about him? the the, Stan- the Stanford defense has has been really impressive so far. They're in in both games. They're two and zero. They played one pretty good team in Kansas State and one team which is just a bunch of sort of high schoolers that were plucked from a local Los Angeles mall in USC. Uh, and they oh shut them God. both down completely. So my, my, my biggest question about Stanford coming into this year was if they had a quarterback who could replace Kevin Hogan, who, Mal, I'd like to remind you, was was good. Chubby the, Brian Mattis? Levels. Yeah, he was, he was effective for, for as much shit as he took. Um, but Ryan Burns, uh, the guy who stepped in for him, has done, done a really good job. And, and yeah, I mean, last year when these two teams played, uh, Stanford won 56 to 35 and McCaffrey rushed for over 240 yards. I uh, I see sort of a similar script playing out this time. But are you uh, are you going with your boy Chosen Rosen to pull the upset?
1: I'm not, man. I want to. I really want to. But, I, you know, I, I just can't do it. Like, I I desperately want Chosen Rosen to be amazing. I want UCLA to be competitive, but it's hard to ignore reality. And the reality is that. Josh Rosen is currently ninth in the Pac-12 in passer rating. I mean, this guy was supposed to be in the conversation for the best quarterback in the country. He's currently the ninth best in his own league. You know, he's barely completing 60% of his passes. He's rocking that pristine one-to-one touchdown to interception ratio you know that that is all terrible and and now he's gonna gonna have to try to get up back on track against Stanford's defense they're allowing 11 points per game and then when the Stanford defense isn't on the field Christian McCaffrey is you know he rushed for four touchdowns against the Bruins last year is he's he's been incredible so far but it doesn't really feel like he's had that like holy shit game yet where everyone is just gushing over how incredible he is this could be that game so give me Stanford
2: yeah the uh the other thing that ucla has a bad habit of doing is for the past few years they've been one of the most penalized teams in college football and especially against a team that's always as well coached and so good at the intangibles as stanford is i see that being a, a bit of a problem this weekend too
1: all right last up this is a this is maybe our forever war i don't know number 17 this- arkansas at number 10 texas a and M. I i think this might be the first one we have different picks on who you got
2: I think you're probably right. Uh so, so last week on this podcast, I said that I was a believer in Arkansas in 2016. Uh last week they went out and beat Mighty Powerhouse Texas State wow. 42 to 3. Wow. Yeah, tough to state. They uh perennial blue blood in college football for for you guys who don't know. Um but but yeah, so here I am. Uh doing what I know I probably shouldn't. And, uh, I'm taking the hogs. I'm taking, I'm a believer in Brett Bielma this year. Uh, Austin Allen is actually the most efficient quarterback so far in the SEC, which I know is not saying a lot because most SEC quarterbacks just started playing football within the last few weeks, but he's been the best of the bunch. Um, I think the, the thing that makes me nervous here the most is that Arkansas has done a little bit of shuffling on their offensive line. They have really good players there, but shuffling on the offensive line is not a great thing to do the week before you're going to face Miles Garrett.
1: Yeah. With
2: that said, with that said, uh, I I think Arkansas is, is going to do it this year. And and Mal, guess who's uh, guess who's calling this game? Who Ben? Joe Tessitore, which means this game Tessa is going into, into yeah, this game is going into quadruple overtime. The uh, the past few years, actually, this game has gone into overtime. Arkansas lost uh, twenty eight to twenty one in overtime last year, and the year before they lost thirty five to twenty eight in overtime. I think this goes to overtime again, except this time I have the uh, the hogs pulling it out. But please proceed to tell me why you uh, why you feel differently here,
1: Mal. Give me the Aggies, Ben. Give me the Aggies. Uh, different pick, but actually for one of the same reasons that you actually mentioned. So I'd like to thank you, as usual, for doing my work for me. Um, the Hogs the have allowed two sacks and five tackles for loss per game. And as you, as you kindly noted, they are about to go up against sack lord Miles Garrett. That is, uh, that's scary. Um, you know, I, I know you're all aboard the Razorbacks Express here. I, I am not there. I will. Here's the promise I will make to you. If Arkansas okay. wins this game, I will be prepared to change my mind.
2: Wow. Yeah. So high stakes. I mean, here's here's the other thing that's concerning for me. Texas A&M usually starts five and zero before they fall apart in the second <laughs> half of the season. And right now they're only at three and oh. So exactly. I, may, uh, I may have picked against them two games too soon, but we'll uh, we'll find out on Saturday here.
1: Exactly. You're expecting Kevin someone to fail slightly ahead of schedule. So that's that's really on you. Got to say. Yeah. All right upset pick who, uh, who who should be worried
2: So this isn't a huge upset pick but I uh, I don't see that many people taking it. I have uh, I have Florida beating Tennessee I know we were all aboard the Tennessee Express during our preseason podcast um, but after the first three weeks I am not impressed I uh, so I know that Florida is going to be without quarterback Luke Del Rio, but they have Austin Appleby, who is an improvement over Treon Harris, which I think we can agree is certainly something. Uh, But I mean, most of all, for the last 11 meetings between these two teams, Florida has won every single meeting. So I feel like I'm not so much picking an upset as I'm picking like the sun to rise the next day. This is just something that's going to happen. It's it's in the vault heads. And I mean, Tennessee's offense has looked terrible so far. Even even if Florida's Florida is missing their starting quarterback, they currently have the top ranked defense in the nation. And Tennessee has the 100 ranked 100th ranked offense, I believe I uh yeah. Give me the Gators.
1: Yikes. Yeah. And, you know, Camp Sutton, who is Tennessee's one of one of their senior leaders, cornerback, returner. He He's out with a fractured ankle, which is a huge loss for them. But I would never make that pick because I don't ever want to disappoint Amanda Dobbins' dad. Um, so oh, instead, sorry, sorry, Amanda Dobbins, dad.
2: I apologize. <laughs> it's nothing personal. I just uh, yeah, Josh Dobbs has not been the guy I wanted him to be so far.
1: Ben, I, I want to know, can you guess what I'm going to pick here? In, a, in an effort to be consistent, can you guess who I'm going to pick? Uh,
2: are you taking Auburn to beat LSU? Well,
1: oh, that's a good one. But no, I'm going to save our, our Auburn talk to, to close out the show in about one minute. I'm going to say Clemson.
2: Oh, Ooh. God. <laughs> it's a, okay, go ahead. I'll let you take this one away. This is your time.
1: It's just like, you know... It's sort of like this is this is my corner now. This is my hill, and I just got to stay on it until until I have no absolutely no choice but to abandon ship. I, I think I mixed like seven metaphors there, but you get the point. Uh, I respect it. Look, Georgia Tech, not a great team, but not a bad team. Prepping for the triple option on a short week is hard. And not only that, but this is the always dangerous Thursday night road slot. So... The combination of my, my general lack of faith or, you know, position the other way, my, my, my certainty that Clemson is going to stumble at some point, paired with the fact that this is a dangerous set of circumstances, I, I, I smell an upset, or at least upset potential. I'm sure they'll win by 40 now that I've said that, but, uh, you know, got to stick to my guns here.
2: I, uh, I respect that. I, w- I will say I-, I don't think Clemson is going to lose this week, but the week that Clemson does eventually lose, I, uh, I will make sure that we allot like a full five minutes for you to gloat about predicting it correctly. So uh, I'm so, going to yeah, need keep... more than
1: five. I'm going to need more oh. than five. So uh,
2: we'll just make that the whole show. I actually won't show up for that episode. I'll just sort of be like, this is the Mallory Rubin episode to talk about how correct she was about Clemson not being as good as everybody thought.
1: I'll just record the monologue today and just hand it over to Tate and Jim. Uh, so that they're they're ready to to hit the button whenever I'm finally right. Um, yeah. let, let's wrap up. La- last thing of the day, what are we gonna do about Gus Malzahn? And 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 it doesn't really matter what we're gonna do. What is Auburn gonna do about Gus Malzahn if he loses to LSU on Saturday? It, is he done?
2: I mean, barring a miracle, I would say yes. So the one thing that works in his favor is his buyout is quite large. If they were to fire him after this year, I think it's eight point nine five million dollars. I read um, earlier today when looking that up. And the other thing that sort of works in his favor is Auburn University's president recently announced that he's going to step down in 2017. So a lot of times when there's all that administrative shuffling, you don't get the you don't get the shuffling in the in the football program so that's what's working in his favor the thing that's not working in his favor is that Auburn has somehow lost seven straight home games to power five opponents they're one and two they're about to be one and three if they can't stop Leonard Fournette which if last year was uh, any indication they're gonna have some trouble with that and for their schedule the rest of this year they play at mississippi state they play at Ole miss they play at georgia and they play at alabama if they can't win this game i mean it's it's going to be real real trouble for for our, our boy gus i was uh i was all aboard the gus bus after he <laughs> took them to the uh after he took them to the national title game when they lost to florida state but i think uh i think our boy could be in a little bit of trouble here and if they uh, if they lose this game, what do yeah, you think, though?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Jordan Hare is supposed to be one of the toughest places to play in the entire country. You can't if you're Auburn, you can't go to to one and three, just full stop, period, ever at all. But you definitely can't do it by losing at home to a division rival. Like that's a that's a death knell. I just I just don't see how he'd recover, especially because things are not exactly going swimmingly for LSU right now. So, you know, this is uh this is an opportunity for him to kind of. Save the season and maybe save his tenure, but if they lose, which I suspect they will, it's uh, it it's probably probably wind it down for Gus.
2: I would say on the flip side of this, if if Auburn were to somehow win this game, this loss could actually be even more damaging to Les Miles, right? Because yeah. I mean, LSU tried to get rid of him last year. They lost that game against uh, Wisconsin in the opener, which basically got rid of all the goodwill that he had. If they were to start two and two in a year that they entered as a top five team in the AP poll and had national championship expectations, that could, that could basically be, be the end of less in Baton Rouge.
1: All right, Ben, on that supremely depressing note, let's, uh, let's say goodbye to everyone. Enjoy the football this weekend. It should be another, another good one. And, uh, everybody, we will, we will see you next week on the Ringer University feed.